It is good to be with you on this day. We have been in a season of Eastertide within the church, which is a a beautiful call for us to not just have one day of Easter, but reflect upon the hope of Christ and the resurrection. And this day, particularly in the church year, well, let's be clear, if you were a very strong, kind of committed to the church year, actually Thursday would be Ascension Day, and you would have a Thursday night service. Not many of us grew up with that. Not many of us grew up with Ascension Day traditions or outfits or practices. And yet, as I read this passage and this call to pay attention to what is happening I believe ascension and the story of Christ's ascension has something to say to us and to invite us in. I don't remember how many times I was even aware of the language of ascension growing up in the church. I don't remember a particular sermon that worked with this passage growing up in the church. It's an interesting kind of uh, movement. But I do remember when I was first kind of captured by it. I was in seminary and I had a New Testament professor whose way of teaching just always engaged my heart, mind, and soul. I found myself opening scriptures and discovering new things by the ways in which he gave context and ways he made connection. And I particularly remember him speaking on this passage and me leaning in and hearing things about what I began to see about who Christ is and what's being revealed to us in the narrative of Christ's earthly ministry and what that's inviting us into. And I found myself engaged in heart, mind, and soul. I also remembered that throughout his teaching, he kept using the phrase of God the Father snarfing up Jesus. So I, being a good seminarian, did what you do, is that you try and take all that you've been engaged with and learn, and you bring it to your local church, which I did, but I probably maybe used the word snarf too many times, and it became known as Mary Paul's snarf sermon, and there are people who still refer to it to this day as the snarf sermon, so I'm not. That's all the snarfing you're going to hear today about that. But it speaks to a couple of things about communication, not letting your language get in the way of your message, but also that for many of us, there's still this, what is this ascension about? What is it revealing to us about who Christ is? I think one of the things that is significant within the scripture, but also within church tradition, is how much this is a hinge moment. How much this is a turning moment. You think about even the the language in the Apostles' Creed that says, Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, God the Father Almighty. Do you hear that change in tense even there? That we're moving from this completed work of Christ to now the reign of Christ. 
We're moving from this amazing story that we have lived into, coming from the incarnation to the life of Christ, to the crucifixion, to the resurrection, and now this ascension in which Jesus is fully restored in place with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. There's something in there for us to see, not only for Jesus, but also for us. That this arc of the story is this place in which we too are being invited into this full restoration, full reunion, and the beauty of what that brings us to in our future hope. And so we live in this tension as we enter into this passage. One of the other things with Ascension is it has a little bit of comical energy to it. There's a little bit of what's happening, what's going on, going on here. There's a little bit of the disciples still being the foil when they ask the question, Lord, is this the time when you restore the kingdom of Israel? Like, all this life of Christ, all this teaching, all this 40 days of Jesus showing up and showing his wounds and proclaiming the kingdom, they're still asking, Lord, is this time when you will restore the king? Like, is this the time when everything gets set right and we get to be empowered? That's still something in there that they're still not getting. There's something for us to see in that. There's also something for us to see in this uh, two people in men in white robes kind of joining them when they're staring out into the clouds. I kind of like how those folks just show up and saunter in. Like, no introduction. They just kind of join the crowd looking up towards the clouds and ask them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? Right? There's something, maybe it's just my quirky humor, but there's something in there. And Part of, for me, this journey into this passage has been over several years now. Whenever I find myself visiting like a cathedral or basilica or some kind of sanctuary that has kind of the images of the Christ story that surround you, I go and explore how they're picturing the ascension. And I, and I find it fascinating because it's, it's usually a small panel compared to the large panels. And I obviously think it should be a bigger panel than what it gets. But it's also how it gets depicted. Sometimes it's a big crowd. Sometimes it's a small crowd. Sometimes Jesus is high. Sometimes he's kind of mid-range. They always seem to struggle what to do with his sandals. I don't know why, you know, everything else stays with Jesus, but the sandals are usually, like, cast aside. There was one where it looked like flip-flops had just, you know, it's kind of a California version of, of Jesus' ascension happening there. There was one that really caught my attention. It was at this cathedral in France in Chartres. And I had been walking on the interior of the cathedral, and in this case, it wasn't so much the frescoes along the side, but these carvings that were telling the life of Jesus. And I was looking up, and I was kind of startled, and then I realized what I was looking at were the bottom of a pair of bare feet and a cloud that surrounded it in the carvings. And I was captured with that. I was both struck, again, a little bit of my funny bone about these bare feet dangling down above my head. 
But I also think there's something in there for us to receive. There's something being revealed both in all the resurrection stories of Jesus showing his wounds, but there's also something about those bare feet. There's something about them that says, uh, has a bit of playfulness to it, has a bit of lightness to it, has a bit of joy to it. I think about you lifting up a child, right? And the way in which you would do that and the joy of what that means as you go into an embrace. And I think about what this ascension means and the joy that that carries for the heart of God. I think about the way in which bare feet kind of represent a, a lightness to it. You're not at battle. You're not working. You're not striving. There's something about letting go and letting God do the work that God is doing. There's something about trust in bare feet for me. Trusting in God's provision and God's salvation and God's abundance. There's something about those bare feet that call me to remember that when we talk about this power that will come upon the people, this work of the Spirit, it is still understood in the framework of how Jesus has been teaching the kingdom of God. It is not a power over. It is not a power by violence. It is not a power of force. It is a power of transformation of a heart of love. Is a power of renewal of hope, of restoration. It is a power that can give you new strength to face the day and to live a life of cruciform, of sacrifice, of being willing to be wounded for the purpose of loving others. It is the power that we see revealed to us in the kingdom a power of great love, that wounds might happen, but they don't have the final word, that all the things that make us afraid, and all of us, if we took a moment, began to talk about the things that have captured our minds and our hearts and made us afraid, have no power over us. Jesus showed us that, right? Jesus showed us in his journey to the crucifixion, there where we thought the power of the world had gotten a hold of him and had squelched him, had no power. And we're invited into understanding and yearning for a different kind of power ourselves. And that as a church, that's the kind of power, the power of love and sacrifice and willing to be wounded that will give witness to the kingdom of God. I think a little bit about how those disciples responded to this moment. Again, all the images have some different kind of reactions, but I would say a lot of them have a mixture of certainly worship and adoration, but also bewilderment. And I kind of resonate with that. <laughs> A little mixture uh, in my journey with God of worship and adoration and hope and grace and fullness and sometimes bewilderment. Easter might feel like a long time ago for you when you think about the 40 days and all that's happened in your life and all the conversations in which you've been engaged and all the things, the fear that has gripped you. 
since you said Christ has risen, he has risen indeed with great joy. And what does that mean? And how do I live that out? And the disciples walk that with us. And part of that is to hear and to see the fullness of the ways in which Christ is promising this power of this Holy Spirit. That is different, again, than how we imagine power. It is the power to love in the midst of bewilderment. It is the power to forgive. It is the power to reach out. It is the power to walk the long way of service to another. It is the power to rise up to a hard day that's going to have some hard things and know the presence of God working in you, flowing through you, sometimes giving you words that you know weren't even of yours, right? That this is the way the power of God works. This is the way of the barefooted Jesus who has ascended. And so we can't lose sight of this good news and also know that it's worked out in the daily grind of living as it was for the disciples. It means that we're called again and again to be formed and reformed by our understanding of power and inviting the Holy Spirit's power to work in us. And so much of me resonates with that desire that God would just be made known and that his kingdom would come and, and this is the time when all will be clear. And that's instead we're invited to wait and pray. And this is what the, the message to the disciples were, right? Carl uh, Barth calls it the significant pause. There's this place in which we are, as a church and as a people of God, called to wait and pray. And then, I'll point you the next Sunday, come back for Pentecost Sunday here, is to receive that Holy Spirit, to inhale it, and to be a church, if you walk through the Acts, that continually lives in response to the work of the Holy Spirit, continually lives in response to the way in which the Holy Spirit guides you and speaks into you as a people together. That there's something powerful that we're being invited into knowing that's way beyond the kings and kingdoms of this world that is about being lifted into the presence of God and knowing the fullness of God's love and joy and abundance and grace for you and for your neighbors. I so resonate with the uh, claim in Philippians that Paul makes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And if you know that passage, that's where I want to put the period. But it goes on. And it says, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That there's something about this power to equip us to live as Christ lived. That seems different than what I sometimes mean when I'm praying for the power of God to be known again. 
One author said it this way, he said, too often Christians have sought to enjoy the gifts of Christ without wanting to follow and become like Christ. This has produced people who are fans of Jesus, but have resisted becoming, being followers. Do you hear that? Let me say it again, because that's really kind of challenged me. Too often Christians have sought to enjoy the gifts of Christ without wanting to follow and become like Christ. This has produced people who are fans of Jesus, but have resisted being followers. Sometimes I'm more of a fan. And that's with a place of confession that I want to be a follower of Jesus. And I want your power to equip me and enable me to live in a cruciform way that I'm willing to be wounded in sacrificial love for others. That I'm willing to be misunderstood and I'm willing to walk in ways that continue to not create battles but create words of love and redemption and hope and grace in the name of Jesus to others and to myself. And that I not too much join into the way I think the disciples were asking, Lord, is this the time when you'll restore the kingdom in those places of distress? Like, isn't this the time you said everything right and everybody knows I was right and they were wrong? It's kind of part of what I'm praying in there. But instead, I pray for the kingdom to come and that Christ do that in my heart and I live it out in all the phrasings we pray the Lord's Prayer with. And when they ask this, the response is so powerful. It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set. And, and this is sometimes understood to be like the theme verse of Acts. It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so often we think about, again, that kind of power to, to take over the world, to, to be mega churches, to have these huge kind of uh, revival moments, and those are beautiful. But if we look at the story of the disciples and the way in which that was lived out, it was a lot more like the barefooted Jesus. It was a lot more of a cruciform way. Jerusalem, the city in which you are waiting and praying for the Holy Spirit to come, maybe church. Judea, the place of your family, and your extended family, and those that you have deep relationship and understanding and even a cultural affinity to, that you would be a witness to that ring of people in your life. Samaria, a culture and people you might not understand, a people group that perhaps you react to, maybe you push against, and maybe they push against you that you would have the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, people and places beyond your imagination. Where will God bring you that you would be a witness to the good news 
of the resurrected Christ who resurrected with the wounds of the crucifixion. This is the journey we're on in this Eastertide. This week, particularly as we think about this call in Acts 1-4 to pause, to wait, to pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us, is a powerful invitation for us where we sit, where we sit with our families, where we sit with our community, where we sit with our church. And as I've been wrestling with this passage, I felt this call within my own life to mark this next week, to have set an alarm for 104, to pause and to pray for the Holy Spirit to come in my life, in the life of my church, my church-wide church worldwide. Maybe it's a particular country or place that you carry. But this this kind of twofold prayer that the Holy Spirit would be known and it would be the power of the cruciform way, that it would be the power that empowers us to be witnesses of who Christ truly is, to be a power that helps us to live life of sacrificial love so others might hear the good news of the kingdom. And it is good news that we would receive the power to bring witnesses in word and in our lives, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's this passage in Ephesians that touches on some of these themes. And it starts with this in 111. In Christ, we've also obtained an inheritance. This is our inheritance, the work of the Holy Spirit, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. I love that phrase. Might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to live to the praise of his glory. So I invite you to know there's more. That if you've been staring up in the clouds saying, oh God, (laughs) what are you doing? Here, the witnesses come alongside of you and say, why are you staring up there? Gather and pray with expectation, with anticipation that there is more power available for you to live out this life of Christ. There is power available to, in you to trust as the barefooted Jesus did in the love of God and the purposes of God that you might live to the glory of God. There's a prayer in that first chapter of Ephesians, I want to pray over you, and I want to pray it as a benediction. And I invite you as I pray these words from Ephesians over you, to both put your hand on your heart 
as a receiving of this prayer over your life and the particular places in which you need to know anew the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you and between you and the lives of others. And you might hold out your hand open, praying for maybe this church, maybe the church worldwide, maybe a particular people that the Holy Spirit would be poured out anew. That Pentecost Sunday next Sunday might be a revival Sunday in the beauty of the word. That we would be a renewed people to live the way of the cruciform Christ who is resurrected and proclaims good news for all people. Let's hear this prayer as a benediction over us. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. We pray this in the name of our risen and ascended Christ. Amen.